Welcome to ATRA, Voices from the Field. This sustainable agriculture podcast is presented by the National Center for Appropriate Technologies, ATRA, Sustainable Agriculture Program, with support from the USDA Rural Business Cooperative Service. Hi, I'm Heather Lingle with NCAT. Thank you for joining us. Today's podcast explores community gardening and its relationship to sustainable agriculture. Daniel Pryle, Sustainable Agriculture Specialist from NCAT's Northeast Regional Office in Keene, New Hampshire, has a conversation with folks from Antioch University, New England's Community Gardens Connections Program. This episode looks at the importance of community gardening as part of the greater food system. Students from Antioch University, New England's Environmental Studies Department who are also coordinators of the Community Gardens Connections Program, give advice on how to establish and maintain community gardens. They even touch on the role that farmers can play in community gardening initiatives. In this podcast, you'll hear from doctoral candidate Jess Garrier and from Emma Rolletter, Jess Barnes, and Rachel Bryce, who are all students in environmental studies and also co-coordinators of the Community Gardens Connections Program at Antioch University, New England. Let's listen. Hey there, this is Daniel Pryle. I am a community food specialist out of NCAT's Northeast office based right here in Keene, New Hampshire, and that's where we're sitting today. Um, today we're going to take the podcast in a slightly different direction. We're not going to be so much farm-based uh, as food-based. We're going to talk about community gardens and their importance in sustainable agriculture. And part of the reason behind this is that years before I started with NCAT, I used to be a Peace Corps volunteer. And one of my primary jobs was establishing community gardens in sub-Saharan Africa, which is how I first got into community gardening. Um, Years later, when I went into grad school, also here in Keene, New Hampshire, Antioch University, New England, uh, there was such a huge focus there of the importance of community gardens towards society. Um, And that's where I really started to get an academic perspective on community gardens. And as such, in the next year or so, we are going to be updating the Community Gardens ATRA publication. So um, We have four guests today from Antioch University, New, Antioch University, New England, um, and they're here with one of Antioch's centers. In this case, it's the Community Garden Connections Program. Um, and then we're gonna just do a quick go around, let them introduce themselves. We'll start with Jess Garrier. Sure, thanks, Daniel. I'm Jess Garrier. I'm a doctoral candidate in the Environmental Studies Department at Antioch University, New England. And I'm researching community garden as it's related to social identity and kind of the larger sphere of community food systems, uh, specifically community gardening efforts that involve higher ed institutions. And I'm also an aspiring homesteader. I raise chickens and I have a large vegetable garden and we're experimenting this year with hops and fruit trees and shrubs. Uh, Emma Rowletter, could you introduce yourself to the group? Yeah, I am a master's student studying environmental education at Antioch University. I'm currently a Community Gardens Connections co-coordinator, so I help um, coordinate with the social service agencies we work with. And in the past, I helped run and develop organic farming education at a learning center in Minnesota. Next up, Jess Barnes. All right. Um, Yeah, so I'm Jess. I am also a um, co-coordinator for Community Garden Connections, as well as an environmental education student at Antioch University, New England. Nice, thank you. Last but not least, Rachel Bryce, what's your story? Hi, Daniel. Thanks for having us. 
Uh, my name is Rachel Bryce. I'm a doctoral student at Antioch University, and I've been a co-coordinator with Community Garden Connections since 2017. Cool. Thank you. I guess the big question for me is why do you all think community gardens are important? Right? What, what role do these things play in our society? Um, I think that's a really fair question, Daniel. Um, you know, through my light research um, the past couple of years, community garden connections have played a really important role in addressing um, food insecurity, which is a word we kind of use in this realm to relate to food access. You know, can people easily get fresher, unprocessed foods affordably, whatever their means are? And specifically in New Hampshire, you know, this problem can be seen to get worse the higher up in the state you can move. Community gardens are really here to address that issue, but also they build a connection between people and also a connection between people and nature. We all need food, and therefore we all kind of need to rely on the ground that we're standing on. So community gardens play this awesome role in creating common ground between people from really diverse backgrounds. Thanks. Just Gary, I know you had some thoughts about that as well. And two things that come to mind with regard to community gardening and its role in society are wellness and education. On the wellness side, people use this word in different ways, but I mean it in terms of like personal wellness, you know, your diet and uh, enjoyment of the outside and all the health benefits that that has. Communal wellness, you know, knowing your neighbors, knowing who in your community might be hungry and who might be in a position to provide some some fresh food and some of that connection that Jess was talking about. And also ecological wellness, practicing, you know, more uh, regenerative uh, ways of working with the land in ways that uh, honor the ecosystem around you and connecting you to that place and its history. Um, on the education side, there's lots that community gardens can do. Um, besides teaching people how food is grown and where their food com comes from and the unique particular aspects of where they're growing their food, gardening is a great way to learn about soil and water health. But then also, besides the physical aspects of growing food, there are these sort of social questions that are much bigger. Um, things like why some people have less access to food than others and what are the kind of economic and political and social systems that we have in place that make it that way. Um, learning about uh, resilience and overcoming hardship and the garden can be a place to practice with that. So for me it's a place where things that can kind of get overwhelming to think about on a global scale get brought down to a very manageable uh, practice of gardening on a local scale and it can feel really empowering. Gives you something to think about too while you're pulling those weeds, huh? Mm-hmm. It can be a meditation for a lot of folks. So this podcast is traditionally all about sustainable agriculture and, and I was joking with you all earlier about how usually we're talking about like, the winter feeding techniques for small ruminants, but community gardens do have an important role in, in sustainable agriculture. I'm curious if you've got thoughts about that. So among other ideas, Daniel, sustainable agriculture contains the idea that we will be able to provide for our own needs without infringing on the rights of future generations to meet their needs as well. Absolutely. And I think community gardening, especially community gardening that embraces chemical-free practices, is one way community gardeners can contribute to that vision by increasing our food production right here in our own community 
while at the same time having limited impact on ecological systems or the long-term productivity of our soil. So in other words, you're just saying community gardens are a way for people to feed themselves in the long run. Yes, and also to engage personally with a larger system of sustainable agriculture that includes small-scale farmers. Yeah. Yeah, I sort of see community gardens as an entryway for people to start thinking about sustainable agriculture because if you're choosing between two vegetables you see in a grocery store, you might not really feel the difference between conventionally produced or sustainably produced products. But if you yourself are growing them and putting in the inputs, choosing whether or not you want to use chemicals or what type of seeds you want to grow, it really drives those things home and can help people to participate more in being part of that sustainable system. So you're saying that if I've got a community garden and I pull up that pesticide label and I realize all the protective equipment I need on it, maybe I don't want to be having that on the food that I don't grow at home either. Is that? That's right, yeah. You sort of get a feeling that what it means for those chemicals to be on your food, that if you have to spray them yourself, you can make a clear connection from how those are going from your plants to your body. Yeah. Get increased awareness. Mm-hmm. Totally. It makes a lot of sense. So if someone's looking to start their own community garden, do you all have any good entry points for them? I think at first, you know, if you're getting the ball rolling, it takes people. It takes people who are willing to volunteer, and it takes people who are really, really willing to, to dedicate time and effort to this. And that can be people who are familiar or unfamiliar with the gardening or gardening processes. People are really vital to the longevity of one of these projects. Community members can suggest what they'd like to see in the community garden, you know, it's there to serve them. Um, They can also talk to their neighbors about how a garden helps them in hunger or in health, mental, physical, whatever it be. And it lets their neighbors and the people around them also to begin to form understandings and meanings personally for what a garden can do for them. So definitely getting people on board um, throughout the whole, whole life of the garden. In our organization at CGC, we often refer to that person who's at the core of the idea, who's really passionate about it, as the champion. And I agree that that's super important if you want to get a garden started you need someone to be there to um, to fight for it. But that person does not have to fight alone because I also think that it's not something one person can do by themselves. So you really need to connect with people in the community. There are a lot of potential partners for a community garden. The city government, churches, schools, or employers are all people that you can reach out to and start making connections to see what other agencies have interest in your community. You know, it's interesting to hear you all talk about this, right? Because when I think about the community garden, my first thoughts are, here are the fences, here are the garden plots, here's the sign that has all the rules on it. But you all are starting with it from a completely different place, right? You're talking, you're starting with the community, starting with this idea of a group of people coming together looking to grow food because I I guess I'm still thinking logistics well I think you can't have a logistical conversation if you don't have people to have that conversation with Mm. and so logistical considerations and site considerations are important but talking to the people and getting your core team and your lead people together first I think are probably the primary concern and so once you've done that then you can start thinking about 
is the place where I want to locate our community garden appropriate for our community. Is the soil healthy, especially in an urban setting, you might want to explore getting specific soil tests done to look not only for fertility, but also potential contaminant issues. Yeah, lead um, being a big one. Lead being a big one in cities, yeah. specifically. Um, is your site in full sun? If you want to grow vegetables, you need at least six full hours of sun exposure. Do you have access to water? Do you have a place to store your tools? Do you have fencing? Do you have places for people to park? Do you have places for people to sit in the shade and enjoy what they've grown together? But I think, Daniel, really one of the most important things for a group of people that wants to get a community garden started to remember is that there isn't a right way to do these projects. Every community wants and needs different things and together as a community they'll be the ones who decide what it is they want and need um, incorporated in their garden project. Also, and this might be a place to get started, is to ask your employer whether the workplace could be uh, a place to establish a workplace garden. And workplace gardening can lower some of those barriers that people have to getting started with community gardens in terms of the time that it t might take to get to the garden, the distance that has to be traveled. Um, but it also knocks down barriers within the workplace where you might not see people in another department or part of the building um, most of the day, but you can join with each other in the garden and get to know each other. Work can be stressful and gardens provide a great stress relief, a great place to take a break. And it's also really a tangible and very rewarding way to um, uh, do something of service in the workplace. It can boost your company or your employer's um, charitable or sort of community involvement and really um, makes the workplace more than just a place where you punch in and punch out. It's a place where you establish relationships with uh, food and your coworkers and um, kind of those larger things we've been talking about. Let's also get into how these gardens get maintained, right? I, I know from my personal experience, it's one thing to start a garden, it's another thing to keep it going, right? And to keep that community interest in there and, and to keep these gardens looking pretty, right? Or, or um, financed. Um, what, what advice from your experiences can you give folks out there? Well, the easiest way is to have somebody whose job it is to look after the garden and to uh, be in charge of maintaining and organizing and making sure that what needs to happen is able to, which is why it's so important to connect with partners in the area that there might be, you know, someone in the government or in a local university or school that can take on that as a, as a part-time responsibility to coordinate the garden. Mm -hmm. But it's definitely possible to manage a garden, even if you don't have the resources for somebody to have that as a job. It's funny you mention that because for me, that's sort of my, my number one rule, right? It's make sure there's a paid position, but how that position gets paid can be a big issue. I mean, you were talking just earlier about um, people getting access to food right. and it, implying at a price they can afford, right. right? But if I have to pay $300, $400 a month, that's a crazy sum. That's not what people pay for community gardens. <laughs> um, if I have to pay a large sum a month just to participate in a community garden so that we can hire somebody, right, now this becomes a community garden for the rich. Yeah. 
I think paid coordinators are nice and I think they're important in settings like schools particularly. Um, teachers are really pressed for time and often can't, can't devote what a garden needs to keep going. Um, so I think in that setting, a paid coordinator position can be nice. And I also don't think it's necessary. There are gardens all around the United States, all around the world, that persist for years without a paid coordinator running them and keeping them going. I think what's important is to make sure that you have either a key person or a key group of people or a charter um, systems in place to make sure that there's always somebody who's going to organize and um, keep an eye on whether the site is being maintained in the way that the gardeners want to maintain it. And that gets us back to this idea that the first step of a community garden is, is the, the people. Yeah, is the right. people. Um, so that so there's that portion of it. And then I think there's the portion of it that involves being realistic about the expectations and the needs of stewarding a garden. Mm. And so if you want a garden that doesn't have weeds, you will have to have people that are willing to pull weeds. And if you want to, to have a garden that produces food to give for charitable donation, for example, you will have to have people who are willing to harvest that food and deliver it to, deliver it to wherever it is it's going. Um, and so there, again, there isn't a right way or a wrong way to do this. It just takes some conversation and some planning up first, deciding what are the systems in place, what are the things we care about, and how are we gonna make sure those get done? Yeah, I, I think about sort of the, the three the three legged stool of sustainability right that mm -hmm. something is sustainable like a community garden when it's economically sustainable mm -hmm. when it's um, ecologically sustainable and when it's socially sustainable equitable right? yeah and and just this idea that um, the economics of the community garden can be nothing right it can be everyone's free and that's maybe what the community desires or it could be like this community garden does need influxes of money which you were implying could come from partners or from the gardeners themselves. We were talking about ecologically sustainable, and Rachel, you were talking earlier about how community gardens, you like to see them when they're chemical free. Um, and I would hazard a guess that by and large, community gardens are much less on the chemical use than a lot of our traditional agriculture. Um, but then it just just ringing it home one more time, right? You all just keep on talking about the importance of social sustainability, right? That that core group of people and the champion, right? These, the community that comes together to make this. I was wondering if you all could talk a little bit more about what Community Garden Connections, this program actually does. So the mission statement of Community Garden Connections, Daniel, says that we serve to build our local capacity to grow food we address food insecurity in the face of climate change, and we also work to support personal and communal health and resiliency. We work with social service agencies in and around Keene, New Hampshire, to help them start and maintain their own community garden programs. And so that is one of the core pieces of our work. Yeah, I think, um, you know, going along with that, the, another really essential piece to community garden connections is the people like us, frankly. Um, our co-coordinators are graduate students who live in the community and are a part of the community, and also are people who are bringing forth uh, ideas into CGC um, that impact the community. Um, CGC plays a really vital role, actually, in a lot of professional development opportunities. Um, like, I believe over the last year, um, you know, 2019, we had 
675 plus hours of internship work done. So, you know, we're out here connecting with people and growing ourselves, which grows our community too. The projects that CGC is part of are not sort of your ordinary community garden that anyone from the community can join because the projects that come out of CGC tend to be ideas that grad students have come up with, projects that they think of during their time at Antioch that find a way through CGC to come out into the community. So the sites we have with social social service agencies allow people who normally wouldn't have access to a community garden to be part of gardening. Our own garden at Westmoreland, which has produced, I think, about six tons of food for the Keene Community Kitchen at this point, was another project from that came from students. It's a great way for people who have some somewhat different ideas to bring those into the community and see how they play out in Keene, New Hampshire. Nice. And I'd like to add to that, Daniel, some of the history of how community gardens got started as an organization. Hmm. So while CGC is staffed by a team of graduate students and two graduate advisors, it originally came out of a local Keene-driven project. Mm -hmm. Back in 2007, Keene, New Hampshire was one of two cities in the United States who were the first cities to sign on to the Climate Resilient Cities Agreement. And as part of the Climate Adaptation and Resiliency Plan that the city developed, the city and its partners and its community members identified an increase in community gardens as one of the needs of the community to meet its own needs for community resilience in the face of a changing and chaotic climate. And so because of that need, Antioch University, working together with funding from a a private donor, was able to start this Community Garden Connections program. And so that's sort of the backstory of how we got started. As Emma and Jess have already mentioned, we work to support the gardening work of those social service agencies in our community whose patrons need access to gardening the most. Yeah. Could you all give me an example of one of these, these projects that CGC's worked on? Mm-hmm. Um, so for example, we work with the YMCA. We also work with um, an organization called Mananak Peer Support that gives peer-to-peer support for mental health issues. Uh, We work with 15 different social service agencies in and around Keene um, that are each focused on slightly different needs. Does that answer your question? It does, yeah. And they're all using community gardens to forward their agendas in addition to this sort of citywide agenda of climate resiliency. Correct. Um, You know, we're providing a lot of resources for our partner sites. We're not there to garden for them, but to Mm -hmm. let them do it themselves and support them in their that mission. So if folks are interested in starting their own community gardens, they come to you, what sort of resources do you have available for folks? We have what, a whole website page full of different stuff on, you know, between curriculum and also like how-tos, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, for those of you interested in finding that website, we'll link to it in the show notes, but you can also just Google Antioch University, New England, Community Garden Connections. That's right, and through that site, 
you can access all of the curricula that have been published throughout the years, um, as well as a whole ho host of links to outside resources and two guides specific to starting community gardens. So I just have one crazy idea, and it's to even integrate farmers more into community gardening. Would it ever make sense for a farmer to open up her fields to a community garden, to build something like that on, on her own farm? Yes. 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 <laughs> I, I don't know about the physical space of a farm, but I do know of a program that ran in, or is potentially still running in, I think, Vancouver, where farmers act as mentors to students at their community garden. So farmers come in, um, or people that who might be retired and have a lot of farming knowledge to share can come in and help students with their own community garden rather than having it on land that might be harder for a lot of people to access. They are able to come into the cities and share what they know with younger people. Mm -hmm. Cool. And I don't have stats or specific names for you, but I do know that particularly urban farms, as one component of their operation, will provide community garden space to the people in that community. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Sorry, I don't yeah. have a specific name for you. Yeah. No, that's but great. But I, I do know that I've come across <laughs> examples. Yeah. So farmers out there who are looking to diversify your business, turning a plot of your land into a community <laughs> garden might not necessarily be a bad idea. Well, I want to thank you all for being here. Once again, we had Jess Garrier, uh, Emma Rowletter, Jess Barnes, and Rachel Bryce, all connected with Antioch University, New England, uh, and the Community Garden Connections Program. Uh, if you want to learn more, well, I'll have some links in the show notes. Do Google Community Garden Connections, um, or your search engine of choice, I guess. I don't need to be specific there. Um, but again, thank you all for being here. I really appreciated the time. Um, and for all of you out there, get gardening. Thanks again for yeah, having thanks us. Thanks for having us. Thank you for listening to ATRA, Voices from the Field. Depending on the platform you're listening on, if you can, be sure to rate us and leave a review or comment. For more information on this topic, you can contact Daniel Pryle directly at danielp at ncat.org. That's D-A-N-I-E-L-P at N-C-A-T dot O-R-G. In the notes below, you'll find links to ATRA resources and publications related to community gardens. Please call ATRA with any and all of your sustainable agriculture questions at 1-800-346-9140 or email us at askanag at ncat.org. That's A-S-K-A-N-A-G at N-C-A-T dot O-R-G. Our two dozen specialists can help you with a vast array of topics, everything from farm planning to pest management, produce to livestock and soils to aquaculture. You can get in touch with them and find our other extensive and free sustainable agriculture publications, webinars, videos, and other resources at ATRA's website at www.atra.ncat.org. That's www.attra.ncat.org. We'll catch you next week, and until then, keep on farming.